So today, um, Associate Professor Catherine Welch and Dr Estelle Laser are discussing aspects of the Pompeii Cast project. And we're most interested today in getting to work on the site and then what you have to keep in mind in terms of um, being allowed to work on the site. So this is Catherine and I'd like to ask Estelle. Estelle, how did you first come to work at Pompeii? So I first started working in Pompeii as a postgraduate student studying the human skeletal remains, which amazingly hadn't had a really thorough, what we call sort of like a 20th century study done on them. And a, a Sydney University had a project at the time and it was essential to have some um, pedigree that you know there were people who'd actually worked on the site and provided results so that there was um, you can't just work at Pompeii you have to come with some sort of backup so you'd have to have the backing of an institution with a good track record so an application was made for me to study the human skeletal remains and I was given permission by the then superintendent of the site um, uh, Professor Baldassar Conticello can you explain the role of the superintendent in those days? The superintendent was in charge of the site, so they looked after the management of the site, the running of the site, and there usually um, would be a scholar, so they'd be involved in some research on the site as well. Um, in those days, uh, they were still doing major excavations, so they would oversee that. Okay, and who would help? What sort of um, well, there was backup? Yeah, there's a whole administrative um, backup system there so there would be a director of archaeology um, there would be various um, officials um, there were um, restorers so there was a whole staff of people as well as and very importantly a lot of guards who'd look after the site can you tell us about the guards uh, the guards are very interesting so a lot of them had been there for a very very long time and um, they took varying amounts of interest in the site, but they really cared about the research that was done. So the work I was doing um, involved me getting access into mostly two buildings where bones were stored. And these were uh, quite secure locations. So they were ancient buildings, for some reason they were bath buildings, uh, which were only accessible to three guards on the site. So only three people had security clearance to hold those keys. So I could only work when one of those three guards was there. Mm, interesting. Were there any particular characters, individuals, that stood out from among the guards in the years when you were there as a student? Oh, well, they were all pretty amazing. So just even to get to work took a bit of effort. So I would have to go to the office where these particular guards were, which is um, near the Forum uh, in Pompeii, and they would always hope that I was working in the bath complex nearest them because the other one was um, blocked off with a fence uh, because there'd been a very big earthquake in the region in 1980. So that involved walking uh, across the, uh, right through the length of the forum, climbing a fence, beating our way through um, really major um, uh, of growth of fennel and other plants that had self-seeded and sometimes you know they held interesting wildlife like snakes and then we'd have to um, 
open up this um, ancient bath building. It was a bit of an effort to get there. And then they would lock me in because I didn't have security clearance for the key. <laughs> How long did it take you to get your own key? Uh, it took a few years. So when I first started working, I would have um, a discussion when I got to the gate of my building, when they let me in and locked me in. And that would be basically when they'd let me out. And if I was foolish enough to ask for all day, in the in the bath complex um, I would have to rely on the morning guard telling the afternoon guard that I was in there otherwise I didn't get out again. Was there any time that you were locked in? Yes there was so I did have some interesting moments where yeah I spent many happy hours trapped in a building with um, well there was no mobile phone <laughs> um, possibilities in those days and also there would have been no reception had there been so yes I had had some long hours for some reason everyone on the site believes that I spent whole nights there but I didn't that's a legend it is a legend the legend of Estelle Laser <laughs> it is so if you speak to any guard on the site they will tell you and even the current outgoing director general has asked me about that because everyone believes that I did spend whole nights there uh, if it's not true it's uh well located as they say. Okay, so what's different now in how the site is managed? Is it still the same or, or is it different? No, it's changed in the last few years. So it's become an autonomous museum. So it's now called the Pompeii Archaeological Site. So before the superintendency was bound with, um, with Herculaneum and now it's separate. I believe it's Pompeii um, and Aplantis and um, I think it's Stabia uh, and Boscoreale as well, but Herculaneum is a separate autonomous museum, and uh, these and one level of bureaucracy has been removed, so that's good. So because these relate to the Ministry of Culture, so they have they have a um, as their name suggests, they've got more autonomy, um, but then the position of the director of the site is much higher than it was even when I started working many years ago, last century. And there are now a, an army of experts that also work on the site, are there not? There are. I mean, there always were, there was always a scientific laboratory, but that's really been upgraded and certainly thanks to um, Professor Massimo Hazano, who's, um, who's really built up the laboratory and the laboratory's expertise. So. For the first time ever, they've employed a, a full-time physical anthropologist on the site, which is really important because, you know, whenever they're um, excavating, even when they're not planning major archaeological works, sometimes just logistic works are going to yield information, I mean, they will yield um, material, and you need someone on the site. They've also got... Um, uh, they've got um, archaeozoologists, they've got archaeobotanists, um, they're working closely with volcanologists, so they've got a, a, a huge number of people that they're, whose expertise they're drawing on, and that really lifts the game of what kind of information is now coming out of the site. And even so, there's still room for us. Yes, well, we're doing something quite different, and there's always room for other scholars. So um, Pompeii is a huge site. I mean, there's, I mean, it really, it's a, it's a whole town or city if depending how you interpret it and uh, there's so much material there is room 
for so many scholars from so many countries and there's a very long tradition of scholarship, a multinational scholarship. Mm. And so building on what you told us about the need for a pedigree to get in there, today if someone wanted to start working on the site, how would they go about it? Well you'd have to be affiliated with an, with an institution so I don't think you can just apply as I'm an interested person, can I do research? You'd have to have the backing of some institution, I would think, and then you'd have to apply to the super, well, to the um, Pompeii Archaeological Park for permission to do that work. You'd have to have a research design, and of course the research you're doing shouldn't be impinging on anybody else's, so they do try to um, keep projects um, separate, of course things overlap, but generally you'd have an area that no one's studied before. And so you and and the idea is that the information um, gets um, amalgamated with everything else that's been done. So you have a requirement to publish and you've also got a requirement, and I think this is a very good one, to um, to lodge the data that you collect. Uh, with the um, with the Pompeii Archaeological Park. Now they don't necessarily do anything except archive it, but one of the problems in the past was that people would come and start projects and they'd spend a lot of time collecting data that were never given back to the park. So they never um, had any access to the raw data, mm -hmm. and a lot of work's been uh, a lot of work's been done on site. A lot of data have been collected and never published. Mm. So this way, at least, even if the publications aren't forthcoming, at least the data are stored on site. Now, I want to ask you a lot more about that, particularly with respect to our own project. But before we move on, um, can you just tell us the difference, if there is one, between a superintendent and the director general? Because we raised both those names, but um, we didn't get a chance to actually talk about what the difference might be. It's a bit hard to tell actually. I think the Director General is a slightly higher position and like I said um, there's one level of bureaucracy removed so they're um, much more in contact with the Minister of Culture so um, I think it just makes it easier for them to to operate with the government authorities. That's great, thanks. And the other thing that might be interesting to know is are these guards that you encountered back as a student the same kind of person today? Do they employ the same kinds of people today as guards or are the guards different? Yeah, guards are complicated. So before, um, I'm not sure what it took to become a guard. Live in the um, area? I think that was definitely part of it. A lot of them Your were... Your grandfather was a guard? And I think a lot of, yeah. And a lot of the retired guards would become guides on the site. So it's, it's much... Um, um, much less sort of, um, I don't know, just a job that you could take on. The The company that provides a lot of the guards on site is called Ales, and the people they employ... Today. Today, which are, they're not specifically guards, so there's, there's various levels there too, and it's... Um, I, wouldn't, I don't think they really describe themselves as guards, but they have employed... Uh, graduates from archaeology, fine arts, uh, languages, culture, and they have a number of languages that they speak and they uh, stay in various locations in the houses generally. 
and they try and control the crowds that come through the houses but they also make sure that nothing terrible happens that the numbers aren't too great that they overwhelm the structures or that they put them at risk or you know people do any damage but the other thing is because they have this phenomenal education they can also provide information about places to any visitor to the site in so, a number of ways. So this is a very different situation from when you first visited the site. These people are much better educated and much more committed to yeah. conservation. But there are still guards. I mean, mm. what happened and the reason that this started was because uh, when they had the global financial crisis, there was a freeze put on public servants. So um, they, couldn't, they couldn't employ new public servants. So as people became old and retired, they weren't able to be replaced. So this was a solution mm -hmm. and a very good one as it transpires. But they're not the same as the guards. So we still have both on the site. And it's great to see both there. Mm -hmm. And some of them still recognise you, the, the guards. Yeah, the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then let's come back down to um, the idea of how we work on the site. And you've take us, taken us a little while, uh, road down, a little way down the road of this. But um, now, the University of Sydney has a memorandum of agreement with the Pompeii Archaeological Park so that we can do our work. Would you mind to talk a little bit about what a memorandum of, of agreement is and why it's a good thing to have one? Well, it ties us, it ties our research project in with the Pompeii Archaeological Park. So it's a two-way relationship. And the reason that we have it, and it is remarkable, it was requested by um, Professor Massimo Zana as director of the site, he felt that our project was of too much importance not to be affiliated with the Pompeii Archaeological Park. So generally you would apply for um, permission to do a project, you'd get a permit and um, you would work on that project fairly independently. This request is the first time I've ever encountered it and it involved uh, quite a complex legal process which perhaps you'd like to talk a little more about. Well, it was a very interesting time in our lives back in 2017 when we tried to bring this memorandum of agreement to fruition. Um, any communication with um, the Pompeii Archaeological Park, as I think Estelle has already indicated without necessarily giving you detail, is, is a complicated issue. And we're very fortunate, just to take us back to the beginning of the process, we're very fortunate to have um, at least two people, and sometimes more, that live in Italy and often help us negotiate the process. They know the exact individual to go and talk to um, to get the process moving. And also, um, the best way um, to put the request, uh, one particular friend is excellent at rephrasing whatever we simple Australians have to say in the most florid and um, formal Italian uh, that you can possibly read uh, with more superlatives than I think we would put in an entire thesis if we'd written it ourselves. Um, so all of these little things that are cultural and very important um, about how one goes about this process were all done. And uh, Estelle has said that the Pompeii Archaeological Park asked us to apply for this but it didn't mean they weren't going to make our lives a little bit difficult in the process of actually achieving this. And it took us some months to um, get the paperwork in place 
And of course, our own uh, people here at the University of Sydney had to look over it, had to make sure that it was legally possible for them to sign it in good faith. Um, so we had a wonderful person uh, in the uh, Office of General Counsel that made sure that from the university's point of view, we were not signing anything that the university could not stand by in a court. Uh, that was all done. And then it had to be translated into Italian. So yet another friend of ours did the initial translation into Italian for us, completely without charging us any money and putting quite a lot of her personal time into this. And eventually, uh, my own Italian teacher helped us out a little bit. Uh, I must say that for part of the time, Estelle and I were both traveling. So I was in Germany and she was in Italy. And um, so we were communicating by um, much better electronic methods than existed when you were locked into the Sano baths. And it went on and on and on. And eventually, perhaps 24 hours before Estelle was about to, um, about to film a documentary, we finally got the uh, approval. And then some months later, perhaps involving um, a Lego figure of Professor Massimo Ozana, just to help us along, um, the memorandum was signed. And of course, now we're in the process of having that renewed um, to continue our work. It was a um, massive achievement um, on both their parts and ours, and it has worked extremely well for us. We've had the good fortune under the banner, under the aegis of that uh, memorandum um, to return with our team to do quite a lot of work uh, as x-raying and CT scanning very many, quite a number uh, of the um, casts, sometimes with the help of TV documentary companies and sometimes uh, of our own, on our own steam um, as a, a, a research field season from the University of Sydney. So supported by the University of Sydney with small grants. and Which um, we can make go a long way. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yes. Okay, well that, that's, um, so how we got the grant was amazing. Um, now then, what does this mean for how we do our field work now? Um, well, when we do our field work, so even though we have a memorandum of agreement and we have permission for the project, every step of the way requires another permit. Every step of the way requires another permit, especially if we are working with a documentary company. So for each field season and sometimes for each portion of each project for the field season, we need to get another permit. And we have liaison people that we work with. Uh, currently, we're working with the head of the scientific laboratory, who's also the physical anthropologist on site, Valeria Amoretti, who's wonderful. And we've known her since she started working in Pompeii. So um, she's grown into the project. So she isn't actually involved in the project, but she's present when we do our work um, to make sure you know, just to be a presence representing the Pompeii Archaeological Park and to make sure that, you know, not only that nothing goes wrong, that we, you know, that we look after everything, but also that we get logistic support from the guards on the site who don't always want to open things up or stay up late at night or early in the morning for us. So um, she smooths things out and makes sure that they all happen. So it's a complex um, process and, of course, She's interested in our project and we like having her with us when we're doing our work. And she certainly learned how skilled our team is. Yeah, our team's fantastic, I have to say, but we'll talk about that a bit later. We will do that. 
And the final thing I'm going to ask in this is, uh, in terms of our relationship with the Pompeii Archaeological Park, how do we go about submitting the data that you have said is such an incredibly important part of the process? Well, that, that involves um, some complex documentation, which uh, took us a while to discover because no one told us about it. But we have to get, um, you have to get a special protocol and protocol number, and it has to be lodged uh, in the correct way so that um, everyone accepts that it has been lodged and it is kept there. So, um, and then it's put into the archives of the Pompeii Archaeological Park. They won't do anything with it. It's not handed out to anyone else. It's ours um, until we cease our project. So we, we have publication rights, so it's our intellectual property. But it also rests with the Pompeii Archaeological Park in case something happens um, and they don't receive publications, at least the data are preserved. That's wonderful. Is there anything more you'd like to say about the relationship that we have with the Italians and with the, um, the workers and, and uh, operators of the park, Pompeii Archaeological Park? Well, it's a, we have a wonderful relationship. I mean, I've been working there for way too many years, and so I do have good... I mean, it's really important to have good relations from every level. Um, if you're recognised by the people on the ground, the guards and the workers on the site, they respect the fact that we work hard, they've seen us work hard and they assist us with our work and really without them we couldn't do anything. And if we're there with our x-ray machine and they want something x-ray, then we do it. Oh that's true, we also <laughs> do extra things for them. So we've managed to, we've been asked to x-ray some very interesting things, all of them relating to Pompeii I hasten to add, but some of the more unusual finds we've been asked to x-ray to find out what nerve they are. Estella, thank you. I think you've given us a real insight into how we do our work and um, some of the difficulties involved that you can't just waltz in and say, here I am, can I please work? Um, it's worth getting your archaeology and ancient history credentials in place. It's worth um, knowing a little bit of Italian. All of these things for students, if you want to work in Pompeii, it doesn't happen overnight. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine.